Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast. Our mission is to make analytics practical. This is not about abstract theory, but to share true stories of how using analytics helps real-life businesses with real-life constraints make the best possible decisions to compete, grow, and thrive. I'm your host, A.G. Tan. In my experience, finance people are difficult to fool. If you show them numbers, those numbers had better make sense. If you make some kind of a claim, you'd better be ready to back it up with data. Don't expect a person trained in financial analysis to accept anything you say at face value. Which is why artificial intelligence or AI techniques like predictive planning can be a hard sell. The reason though is simple. Many of the people selling it do not understand AI and often they don't understand finance. It turns out that there are some very clear use cases for the use of predictive technology in the Office of Finance that can increase consistency and save time while still leaving financial analysts, and this is important, while still leaving financial analysts in full control of the process and its output. This is what we're going to talk about today. My guest today is Justin Croft, who leads the Solution Architecture Group at Qubit. Justin started his career in finance as a financial analyst, I think, and maybe because he's restlessly curious, ended up becoming a data science practitioner and thought leader. So I can't imagine anyone better qualified to talk about real life use cases for predictive planning and finance. So thank you so much for joining me today, Justin, welcome. Thank you, AG. Happy to be here, and I love this topic. So, so we'll have a great discussion. For years now, there's been buzz around using artificial intelligence techniques like predictive planning and machine learning in the Office of Finance. But the truth is, I think it's mostly just talk. It's one of those things that sound really cool, like, I don't know, flying cars sound cool. But as far as I know, no one's really doing a good job of explaining exactly how using predictive analytics can actually benefit anything we do in the Office of Finance. So would you like to give it a shot? Absolutely, absolutely. And you're right about there being a lot of buzz and hype about predictive or about AI. And in my experience, that that happens because people aren't specific enough about what they're using machine learning or data science to do. And this is really all about what is that specific use case, that specific application. And in this case, right, for the Office of Finance, what what we've seen be really successful is using, you know, broadly, I'll say AI, using AI to help create a financial forecast for the Office of Finance. Right. And that's that's a traditional activity that the Office of Finance has been doing. Right. They're charged with helping the company perform financially and to come up with an accurate picture of where the organization is headed financially. Right. So answering questions like, will sales be up one percent or five percent? Are expenses going to be flat? Um, what if inflation really is seven percent this year? Right. That's that's a very topical, um, timely question. Um, so. So finance has been answering these questions for, for forever, 
right, up until now, with varying degrees of accuracy and in varying degrees, often very manual effort. So enter predictive analytics, enter AI to augment this function of finance, right, to augment the financial forecasting process. So we're talking about predictive models that create a statistically sound baseline forecast for a specific piece of your business. And these models can incorporate external predictors, right? I mentioned inflation, I mentioned, um, you know, things like, uh, you know, COVID, uh, lockdowns, mobility, um, competitive insights. Um, so incorporating all of that so that you've got a better forecast. That's, that's where we've seen this be successful. So when you say a statistical forecast, um, I'm imagining that we're basically looking at the history of how things were in the past. Um, let's say we're talking about, I don't know, sales, pick something easy. And you're saying that you're basically using that historical data to do some kind of regression into the future to, to, to project what it's going to be. And you can, because you're doing a statistical forecast and you're using these techniques, you can actually incorporate those external things like inflation rates and stuff like that to, uh, to uh, impact you know, how the curve goes. Is that the kind of thing you're saying? At, at a high level, yes, that's, that's exactly what it is. So we're taking mathematical algorithms that can learn patterns from historical data and then apply those patterns uh, to future data. Right. And so if you're incorporating something like, uh, let's, let's just say inflation, right? You'll incorporate historical inflation into your historical data. And then when you're creating that forecast, you bring in a, uh, an estimate of what inflation would be in the future, right? So if we assume that it's going to be 7% annualized for the next 12 months, then, um, then you feed that into the algorithm. And based on the historical relationship between your, your sales or whatever, whatever it is you're forecasting, um, it'll apply the same historical relationship to the future periods. Oh, thank you. That helps a lot. So do you have any real life examples to help us really visualize it? Indeed, indeed. And, and a lot of times when I've seen um, finance practitioners struggle, it's because they, they don't have that example that's really relevant. Um, so my favorite example that I use all the time is, is about a retailer that we've worked with very closely to develop an automated forecasting process, right? So we automated the creation of a 12-month monthly forecast, and we, we created that forecast at the, at the intersection of the product category and geography. So product category A by geography A, product category A by geography B, and so on and so forth at the monthly level. So that's above the individual SKU or individual product level, but below the P&L level. And I think that's really important to point out. Um, so the, this retailer, they needed this forecast um, for, for several reasons. You know, number one, to start to get people out of putting numbers in boxes. So you've heard me use the word automate several times. A piece of this is about automating, right? How do we just create a baseline forecast without having to have an analyst spend their day putting numbers into boxes? So how do we get people out of that and do higher level work, right? The actual analysis as opposed to the creation. Um, 
that has the nice added benefit of removing a lot of subjectivity from the process. And that's, that's really number two here. How do we have a forecast that's free of bias? Um, in this case, for the retailer, operations typically provided a forecast that, that was used in finances numbers, but it wasn't especially accurate or consistent. Um, and so creating a forecast um, automatically uh, free of subjectivity was important to them. And then finally, the retailer wanted to incorporate external factors. Um, post, uh, post lockdown, I won't say post COVID, right? But post lockdown, their business changed dramatically and they wanted to connect their forecast to that larger world outside of their four walls. So we implemented an automated predictive forecasting process. We tied it into their uh, forecasting system. Um, we brought in data, uh, really made it seamless where at the push of a button, they could create a new forecast each period. And the project was, was great. It accomplished all of those goals, those three goals that I, I laid out. Um, you know, the accuracy of their forecast at that level, um, after several iterations, moved up to 97% on a monthly basis, right? So more accurate than their traditional subjective manual process. Um, but, and it was also automated and external drivers were used. Um, so that gave them one, confidence in the accuracy of the forecast, but two, it gave them levers that they could use in scenario planning or sensitivity analysis, right? Being able to understand, okay, what's our exposure to inflation? What's our exposure to another lockdown or to foreign currency exchange rates? And then finally, it, it sped up their forecasting process, again, because it was automated and integrated. So that, that's a lot, but, but this retailer um, was invested in this process. They were really on board. They were very participative. And uh, the end result was, was a real win for, for both of us. Yeah, you know, I really do like that example. And I love the way um, you talked about automation and getting people out of just having to put numbers in boxes. Because I can imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I can imagine that the ability to run an automated forecast um, and then to maybe run several automated forecasts, you know, because it's only a press of a button after all, but perhaps by tweaking some of the projections of external drivers and so on would enable you to compare different scenarios pretty easily and thereby you know, explore the possible futures, which frankly, I think is the only realistic way to deal with uncertainty, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, inflation is at one, three, five, seven. Uh, what if our labor costs go up? Um, that sort of scenario and being able to compare uh, a, a good, better, best scenarios, that's, that's what finance, the Office of Finance has been spending their life creating. Um, management tools, decision-making tools, and, and a lot of that gets automated through this process. Oh, great. Thank you. So this all sounds really great and very cool, and the examples do make sense, and I really appreciate everything you've said about specificity, because sometimes people throw around, you know, artificial intelligence and AI like it's magically going to solve all our problems, but what you're saying is the reality is that once you drill down and focus on specific problems that it really can solve, then it becomes so much more relatable and more useful, right? So the, the last question I really want to hear from you about is, 
how does one get started with all of this? Uh, it definitely sounds useful and it definitely sounds cool. And obviously it's doable. We do it with our customers all the time and you gave us a really good example, but it also sounds very complicated. So how much effort does it take before someone sees any benefits to embarking on, on this kind of endeavor? That's a great question. And you're right about specificity. Um, general AI is still is still a myth, right? That's still magic. And so if you hear a stakeholder saying phrases like, well, we're just going to feed the data to our AI, um, that that's a bit of a red flag that, that the problem hasn't been defined specifically enough to really make uh, for an effective problem that that current day AI can solve. So Qubit, over years of, of doing this work, has created a repeatable process for putting predictive forecasting into place, like, like in the, the retailer example earlier. Um, so the first step is to decide what are you forecasting and at what level. Um, typically, um, we decide with, with the client to forecast units of some type. Um, and then those, those units can be dollarized or a price or a cost can be applied to those units. Um, but typically we're forecasting some sort of operational unit, typically sales. And then second, at what level of detail are we forecasting? In the example earlier, we were forecasting at the month level, so that's your time dimension. Um, and then we were forecasting at a geography level and at a product category level. We've done a lot of projects where we're forecasting at the individual SKU, so the base level product and the individual store location. Um, so a very, very detailed granular level um, that that can present, you know, some extra steps and some extra complexity. Um, and typically that's more of an operational forecast. So what we usually see is the Office of Finance wants to get below the P&L level so that you've got more more levers and more accuracy. Um, but but finance usually doesn't get into the product level forecasting. So you've really got to have those discussions and figure out what makes sense for us. What are we forecasting um, and, and at what level? That, quite honestly, is the hard part. Um, moving into the next step, right? You want to start to collect your internal data, historical data, at that level of detail. So if it's uh, sales of units, um, let's, let's find that data. Let's collect it. And that sounds easy. Sometimes it can be hard if, it, if it's coming from multiple different systems, if it has to be um, pulled and curated or cleaned or standardized. What does that look like? Um, we've worked with clients that had different subsidiaries that used, some used weeks and some used months. So how do you standardize that, right? So, so that's, that's sort of a data prep, data transformation activity, right? But, but get your historical internal data to align with what it is you're forecasting. Uh, third step, bring in your historical external data. So if you're using external predictors, GDP, mobility, inflation, bring that information in. Um, you're gonna have trouble finding that information at a day or a week level. It's usually published at a month or a quarter level, um, but you can buy syndicated information, um, competitive sales, scans of products, um, uh, pricing. You can buy information um, that, that will align with your business and your industry at a detailed level. Um, so you want to bring that in and stage it again at the same level of detail as what it is that you're forecasting. Um, and that, 
that sounds easy, but again, it, it, it can be an activity. Uh, and the, the, the next step is to then actually do the modeling. Um, that, that step is now almost automated. Uh, this whole process, AG, is, is really not a technology problem. It's a business problem. The technology to do this has been around for years. Um, now it's about how do you align all this technology to really work with your business. And that's, that's what Qubit specializes in. So final step is around modeling, um, applying the mathematical algorithms to the data, learning those historical patterns, and then measuring um, the accuracy of what you're creating. This is not a once and done process. There's iteration. So there's model creation. There's, um, there's accuracy measurement, holdouts, where you're really understanding where does our data give a great forecast and where does it not? Are there certain parts at the edges that, um, that need special attention? Do we need to divide up our data or divide up our business and forecast it using different methodologies? So we'll work with our client through those steps and ultimately come up with a, a process that is automated and integrated. And that maybe is the last piece is let's, let's integrate these predictions into your financial planning tool, whatever that is. That's gonna give you the repeatability and the speed that's really gonna make this impactful for your organization. Um, so again, Qubit, Qubit's been doing this for years, um, highly successfully, and uh, we've got this, this repeatable process uh, to help you succeed. So that's great that you have a repeatable process. And obviously, you know, having done this a lot of for a long time and having a focus on the Office of Finance and understanding the needs of the Office of Finance definitely helps. But, you know, let me ask the, the direct question. Um, are we talking about, you know, six months, a year? You know, how, how long does it take to get something like this going? Um, because I can imagine a lot of difficulties coordinating data access from IT, um, you know, finding time for the people in finance to um, work out exactly what we want to forecast. All that business side of it requires a lot of investment from, from the client, right? So how does that end up looking in real life? Because people have day jobs, data is sometimes a little bit all over the place. And it's very, very hard to sell large, you know, a large one-year project when, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty or you need to build trust and you need to, um, you know, persuade people in your company that, that this is worth doing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think the biggest thing is stakeholder investment and commitment to the process, right? Uh, people who are interested in solving this problem, who've got a vested interest in this problem being solved, because they're going to help move the conversation along. Um, the hardest part of this is honestly, the initial part where you're deciding what is it that we're forecasting at what level of detail, right? And, you know, how does that relate back to our existing process and our business? And a lot of times you'll have people who maybe disagree on some aspects of that. And uh, while Qubit can advise and make suggestions, ultimately the customer, the client has to decide. And so, you know, we'll, we'll help shepherd people through that process, but that can be the, the longest pole in the tent, if you will. Um, typically though, these projects are not six month projects. They're, they're six to eight week projects. Once that initial step is resolved, getting the data, transforming the data, applying the algorithms, 
that's that's a rote process um, that's that's really deterministic right we know exactly how to do that once the initial decisions have been made so so this is really denominated in weeks um, before you get your first forecast and can start to iterate um, and so that's really exciting because people can see it happen quickly and can make adjustments during the process well that's great to hear because um you know that's something that people can wrap their brains around and i think what you're saying is that it can iteratively also get better, right? So perhaps in the first instance, you might not be doing the whole company. Maybe you might be focusing on, on one part of the company and one subset of, of, of your product categories or whatever. And, and then over time, as you learn from that process, you can, you can start pulling the other things in. And it sounds like when you're working with clients on this, you help them figure out what is practical and realistic for them so they can do it step-by-step step and get benefits along the way so that it's not that, you know, you have to get to the very end state before you're saving time or having, you know, increased levels of automation. Exactly, exactly. This, this can be done in modules, this can be done in steps. It doesn't have to be a, a big bang. Um, you know, ultimately, this this is about a business process that, that we can define and document and, and put on a whiteboard. Um, you know, this is not a science experiment anymore. It's a business process. I, I think for me, one of the best parts about it is taking all the grunt work out of financial analysis. You know, you hire all these smart, bright people to work in the office of finance and to do analysis. And, and then you have them spending time, you know, plugging numbers into boxes, you know, which is really um, not a great, you know, use of, of good brain power, right? So here you have the potential to have the win-win. You add the automation, um, which gives you a much better starting point. You still need the analysis, but now the analysis can focus on the places where it's really adding the most value, right? And so, you know, we're hearing so much about um, you know, the great resignation and so on. I sort of wonder if um, that too could might not be a motivator to, to pursue something like this, right? Because, you know, you want smart, bright people to be engaged in what they're doing and, and therefore making it easier for them to really excel at their jobs and add value to the company, um, one would think would be, would be helpful in that area. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This, this is almost a retention tool as well, because you're, you're engaging your analysts. Uh, the, the feedback that we've gotten from our clients is that the speed with which they can now do a forecast has really changed the way that they operate. And in, in today's economic climate, being able to make a, a new scenario and see the financial impact or to change a driver and see the impact quickly and to report that back quickly to the organization has, has really been um, you know, impactful for our clients. Well, that's, um, that, that's a, a great way to end this, Justin. So thank you so much for sharing that. And um, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, AG. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Qubit About Analytics podcast. Do stay in touch. You can email us at info at qubit.com or check out past episodes and transcripts at qubit.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, take care.